Brian here with Mid-City Vineyard Church. Mid-City Vineyard is located in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana. We are a community of faith that is striving to be in the Mid-City community and always figuring out ways to be for the community that we love so much. If you want to learn a little bit more about us, check us out online, midcityvineyard.org, Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard, or on Instagram at Mid-City Vineyard. This week, we titled our teaching, God the Seeker. We're going to be looking at some of these amazing attributes of God that oftentimes maybe we don't look at uh, these particular attributes, but these are the things that, that God has, uh, has revealed himself as through the person of Jesus, as a seeker, as a redeemer, as one who gives life. Today we'll be looking in the book of John. Let's head on over to the podcast. So, this weekend, or this week, uh, what day was it? It was last weekend. It was last Saturday. So, I think I read some articles this week, which is what got me kind of thinking on this. But So, Meghan Markle is now royalty. Just like that. So, bam. And there you go. Now she's a, the, the Duchess. Duchess of Sussex. A princess. Of sorts. It's amazing. And what I read this week, this is where, where it was. Meghan Markle is now scheduled to take six months of royalty class training. Serious. It's a, it's a real thing. She is now because, because she's not from a line of royalty. So she doesn't know the ins and outs of what it is to be a royal. To the point that I, I was, the article I was reading this week is that um, when she is, uh, I'm going to mess this up, but when she is with Prince Harry and Prince William and Princess Kate, she does not have to curtsy Kate. But if the princes are not present, then wherever she falls in the royal line, she falls underneath Princess Kate, and so she must curtsy Kate. Okay, so there's this whole there's this whole thing. Some of you might have watched The Crown, and you know more about this than I do, for certain. I find it fascinating. She's royalty, but now she has to learn what it is to be royalty. I'm going to come back to that, so kind of put that on a mental shelf. In this passage about Nicodemus, I find this to be... Uh, really cool because it's in the darkness of night that Nicodemus, a Pharisee, in the darkness of night that Nicodemus finds Jesus. It's from the place of ignorance and it's from the place of misunderstanding that Nicodemus comes and he brings his questions to Jesus. And it's really out of ignorance oftentimes and misunderstanding and many times in the darkness of night and in the, in the, in the valley of the shadow of death, in the, in the dark night of the soul, in the times of doubt that we bring our questions and we bring our concerns to Jesus. And in this passage that we read, that Candace read, Nicodemus, as well as us, the reader, are caught working from a very traditional rut. And the rut is this. Nicodemus wants to know, Jesus, 
I'm watching you. I'm thinking about what you're saying. I'm watching what you're doing. What do I have to do to get in on this? What must I do to be a part of your thing? How do I earn my way in, so to speak? Where Jesus' ultimate response is, Nicodemus, what you're asking and what you want, it's already here. It's already available. It's already happening. All you have to do is allow your eyes to be open to it, to live into it. There's this kingdom life that's present all around, and you can experience this. There's this interesting uh, thing that happens in the rainforest of Olympic National Park in Washington State. Micah, if you could go to look, flip your slide, flip your pages, and there are two pictures at the very end. Go to the very last slide. This is in the National Park in Washington State. This, this tree here, you see the roots on this tree? And, and what is this tree growing on top of? Do you know what that is? It's a tree. It's another tree. It's a tree that has fallen. And this other tree is called a nurse log. A nurse log. And what happens is the nurse log falls. Oh, who knows? 50, 60, 70, 100 years ago. It wasn't that long on this particular one. But the nurse log falls, and along the way, a seed finds its way into the nurse log, and the nurse log creates an environment where that seed can grow. Eventually, that nurse log, because it has no life source, no root source of its own, because it's a dead, fallen, dead tree, eventually the, the, the nurse log disappears into nothing. And Micah, go back one slide. And this is what you have. So perhaps you've seen trees that have these huge root systems that kind of fan out like these umbrellas, and yet there's, you could walk through them. And maybe you've wondered in the past, like I have, how in the world does that happen? And honestly, until I read this article this week, I never had an imagination <laughs> for how it happened. I, like I, there was, I, I couldn't see it. I, I didn't have an imagination for it. I, I didn't understand. And now, when I see this, I have an imagination for something that I, I never knew existed in the past. And I think what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and what Jesus says to you and what Jesus says to me is that at some point, the invitation is to embrace reality with new eyes. I want you to think about your experiences this week. I, we, 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 we thought about these, we, we mentioned these experiences filled with, with the, the end of the year uh, play. And, and something that was amazingly beautiful when Phil was talking about it was how he was noticing the interactions with the kids and the, the adults. And, and, and do we have eyes for a reality in which we can see the life and presence of the divine in that? Do we have an imagination for where we can see the ebb and the flow and the life of the divine in the beauty of a conversation between Sidna and her co-worker? Can we see the life of the divine in the impartation and the gift of peace to Newman and what he experienced at work? Are we able to come to a place where we can trust 
in a relationship that is beyond our imagination when it comes to who the divine is and what the divine does. You can go back to the title slide because what I've done is, I think we're going to just spend about four weeks here. God, and who is God, and what are these attributes of God, but I don't want to talk about the attributes of God as in God is, as as some would say, all-powerful, or God is all-present, or God is all-knowing. I think that those are... Those are the kind of attributes that I've looked at in the past. But what about the attributes uh, that, that, that God as the actual finder, God the seeker, God the one who comes searching after us, the one who is so filled with love and mercy and grace that God is the one who comes seeking and looking and finding. In verse 8 in the Nicodemus passage, Jesus says, now listen, here's the thing. The wind blows wherever it chooses. The wind, it just, it blows wherever it wants. And then Jesus says, and so it is with the Spirit. The Spirit ebbs and flows and goes wherever it wants. The word wind there is also translated Spirit so many times. The Spirit flows and goes. God goes where God wants to go. And where is God going? Ah, God is ebbing and flowing and searching all throughout all of creation for human beings. God is on the move looking for human beings. It's a vision, this, this, this spirit going wherever it wants to. It's a vision of God's decision to turn towards human beings, to turn towards us, to search for us. And why is God searching for us? So that God could reveal God's self to us. So that God can show us, this is what I'm like. Listen, you have ideas and you have thoughts and you have an imagination because you've been taught certain things along the way, or maybe you, ex- you thought you experienced something along the way, and, and I, God, want to show you that maybe some of what you understand about me is, is not quite in line with, with who I am and what I'm like. So much so that I'm going to actually come to you in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, and show you exactly what I'm like. If you ever really, really, really want to know what is God like, look to Jesus, because the, the Scripture tells us That Jesus is the exact representation of God. And so if you ever wonder, you know, what is God going to say to me about this situation? Or how is God going to treat me in this situation? Look to Jesus. How did Jesus treat people? How How did Jesus respond to people? With grace and with mercy and with forgiveness and with kindness. In Luke 19, 10. Jesus says, here's the thing. He's talking, uh, it's the story of Zacchaeus. And Jesus says, the Son of Man came to the planet for one reason. To seek and to save those that are lost. And what does that even mean? To save, to set free, to give life, to find, to search out human beings, and to give life to people that you can experience life. And why would God do this? I would suggest that God would do this because it is who God is. It is God's nature. It is God's DNA. It is God's MO. It is who God is to find people and to give and breathe life. The divine who searches the world over and chases and pursues and loves and finds people. It is to God to be in relationship as gumbo is to New Orleans. Relationship is to God as controversy is to the NFL. 
Relationship is to God as salt water is to a redfish. Relationship is to God as oxygen is to your lungs. To go so far that you can't live without oxygen to your lungs. To go so far as to say God would cease to exist, I believe, apart from relationship. God in God's self is relationship. Father, Son, Spirit, God from the foundations of, 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 all of all of creation. God from God's beginning, if there was a beginning to this divineness, has been in relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit, and God searches out all of humanity that that relationship may be shared and experienced even deeper and more greatly. God searches for human beings to complete the revelation of God's own being. Remember Psalm 139. God, no matter where I go, you find me. Why? Why? Not, not to scold us. Not to punish us. Not to beat us up. Not to, to make us into something we don't want to be. No, God searches out all of creation and finds us because it's in God's nature. To find and to love and to give life. God not only does that to that point, but God desires that we and God searches that we would partner with God in relationship and in life. God does not search for you or find you because of your circumstance. God does not search for you or find you because you were found worthy or because you have a sufficient understanding of who God is. Rather, God searches for you from God's own longings and God's own desires. Now, this might go something against what, what maybe we've been taught, but I would go so far as to say that God, God's self, has longings and has desires. Well, does a God who have desires, does that make God less God? To some, perhaps, but to me, that seems to make God a little bit more of a divine being to be worshipped. God allows God's self to want, to desire, and God finds fulfillment in that connection and that relationship with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 9 says that we are co-workers with God. St. Paul says we are co-workers in God's service. So God's, God's got this creation, God's got this thing going, and God says, I want, I desire co-workers. In 2 Peter St. Peter says we've been given these very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature with God. As in, God becomes human to make a way for us to participate in God's divine nature. God brings us into this thing in a very deep and personal and passionate way. So much so that John says that God didn't come to the world to condemn the world. But God came to the world to give human beings life. To redeem us. To make us part of what God is doing. And so what would it look like for us to be in tune with God's way and God's presence? What we need is a transformative overhaul of our traditional ways of seeing and our traditional ways of being. We need a transformation of our whole way of knowing and experiencing the world. That would be 
where, 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 where we could go with this. What is your imagination for seeing and understanding and knowing how the world operates? What is your imagination for it? Because we have to recognize that God's way of doing things is not the way that we operate most of the time. Because God is not a tit-for-tat God. The divine is not a quid quo pro kind of God. The divine does not have conditions on when the divine chooses to look favorably upon you or when the divine chooses to withhold something from you. The divine doesn't operate that way. I do. You do. And because we do, we project that upon God, God's self. Well, that's how I am. So, I mean, I I guess that's, you know. But that's not how God operates. God operates in a way so much so that God, the creator of all things, the divine, says, I'm going to leave this behind and I'm going to become just like you. I'm going to walk in your shoes. I'm going to go through the stuff that you go through. I'm going to allow myself to to experience pain and and difficulty and sadness and sorrow and ups and downs, death of a friend, loss of a loved one. I'll allow myself to experience temptation. I'll allow myself to experience anguish along the way. I'll allow myself to experience death itself. And I'll create a way out of it so that you too can find your way out of it. And I'll love you unconditionally through the whole thing. God's intention has never been to condemn, always has been to save. So my question for me and for you would be, can you imagine an existence in which your one goal is to love? Can you imagine because I, I think we have to, we have to, it's almost as though, you know, we see, see, I, 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 I take my glasses off and I see blurries. <laughs> I mean, you're blurry. You know, I, I can, I can kind of see that you're, some of you are nodding off and so, you know, I can see, but see, do we have an imagination? Do we have the ability to put on what God's given us? And wow, there's facial features and there's. There's beards and noses and eyes and glasses and the world becomes clear. Do we have an imagination for it? Because that's what it takes. That's what it really takes. It takes an imagination like this. Do you realize that you have literally been royally adopted into the divine's being? Where God has said, hey, look, by adoption, your royalty. Well, I didn't grow up in royalty. I know, I know, I know. So you know, we might you might need to take a few classes and learn learn the rhythm of love and the rhythm of mercy and learn the rhythm of grace. Learn the rhythm of looking for the Spirit of God at work in all things at all times. Learn the rhythm of experiencing. Allow your imagination to be formed in such a way that it's not just going through the grind, but here I am once again. There's something to be experienced. There's something of the divine here to be to be known and to be experienced and to be loved. Meghan Markle married into it. You've been adopted into it. 
It's who you are. Do you have an imagination for it? May we participate in this divine nature of God. When I think like this, and I'll be honest, I haven't thought like this all week or all of my life. And yet when I think about this, it changes even in my attitude. Well, how I treat the server tonight who serves dinner to me at my table. Because I'm literally, I'm taking part in the divine nature. Like I literally get to walk around like a, like a little Christ. That people might experience the life of the divine through us. Because we've been adopted in. Potentially this changes the way you relate to the person on your right or your left to the person who is your supervisor or the one who works underneath you. Potentially this changes the way that you relate to your neighbor or relate to, to your in-laws, maybe, or relate to whomever it may be because there is divine nature. God's doing something in you and through you. May we live into our identity. Just like Megan's going to live into hers, right? And there are certain days where she can choose not to, but if she chooses not to, somebody's going to be like, let's go to the back room. We need to have a talk. And maybe that's what we need with each other. Even I love Sidna. They had to step out, but it's kind of like Sidna. It's a very stern yet appreciated word. Are we doing good work? Oh, yeah, that's my reminder. I'll change my attitude and get back in on the business of doing the good work even in the midst of this. So tonight, as we keep going together, I want us to, to share communion together. Communion is that, it's that holy space and place where we, we come to the table. And the table, is, it's made up of all of our stuff. If you're not, you know, some of you, uh, Jay, tonight's your first time with us. So here's what we did with our table. Um, it's, it's cinder blocks and it's boards and it's on purpose and it's written down with a, there's a bunch of stuff written on it because um, somebody referred to it this week as just our, it's our raggedy old, it's a raggedy old uh, communion table. And it, you know, we could have spent money on something, but instead it, it symbolizes who we are because we're, we're, we're a mixed mash group of people who have been put together by Christ and we share Christ in common, whether we're white or black whether we're, we're Asian or Iraqi, whether we're Republican or Democrat, whether we're 41 or 71, it doesn't matter whether we're male or female. We just we share this stuff together, and it's in bread, and it's in wine, it's in juice tonight at the table, that we share these things and we experience Christ who's knitted us together as one. And it's the life of Christ. It's this divine life of Christ within us that we now, we take, we eat, and then we go and we represent, we reflect We're agents of change. Those who partner with Christ to see the world reconciled and redeemed and reclaimed by Christ.